The Seahawks hope to get back in the win column, returning to Lumen Field to face the Falcons in week three. What will it take to move to two and one this weekend? Nick Lee and I are going to be breaking it down with our weekly game plan on Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're just 48 hours away from kickoff at Lumen Field. The Falcons will, will be traveling out west to face the Seahawks, who will be looking to bounce back after a tough defeat in their NFC West opener against the 49ers in week two. We're going to be devising a game plan for a Seahawks victory, dishing out our X factors, who's going, what's going to be the key to the win, and, of course, our predictions and much more. Jam-packed episode coming your way, and this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's only week three, but injury reports, at least for some teams, are starting to get pretty lengthy, and that's the case for the Seahawks. There's some good news and some bad news heading towards Friday's final practice. We will have a final injury report that we will post on Locked on Seahawks later after this episode airs. But, Nick, looking at the way the injury report looks coming out of Thursday's practice, I think there's one very notable concern going into this matchup with the Atlanta Falcons, and that is at center with Austin Blythe moving from being limited in Wednesday's practice to being a non-participant in Thursday's practice with a shoulder issue. If he can't play on Sunday, that means it's Kyle Fuller time at the pivot position. And by the way, there's a pretty darn good defensive tackle on the other side in Grady Jarrett, who probably is going to get some snaps working against the center if that's the matchup. Boy, as if the Seahawks didn't have enough trouble as it is establishing the run, <laughs> um, it's that 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 would be a big blow. And you know, I've if you follow me, I haven't had the super highest opinion of Austin Blythe, but I do have a high opinion of him if you compare him to um, what else, what other else the Seahawks have going on at center. Um, so Austin Blythe would be a big blow. Um, you know, he's again hasn't been the greatest. He ranks thirty third in Pro Football Focus among centers. There's only thirty two teams. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been a little bit, a little bit of a struggle. It's been, there's some, a mixed bag. He's, he's had some good, some good moments as well. Um, but really the interior of the defense of the uh, offensive line, um, has been troublesome. And when you lose a starter, especially the center position, that's a big problem. Absolutely a big problem. And, um, you know, it's, this is a game where I think the Seahawks can and should really try to get the run game going and, and they're going to try to push the ball downfield a little bit. And you can only do those two things. If you don't have, you know, wet tissue paper on the offensive line, so um, that that's not a, that doesn't bode well for that situation. I hope can, Kyle Fuller can stand can step up, obviously, um, but the, the situation is bordering on dire at center. Yeah, they have to start Kyle Fuller in this matchup. It, it's it's going to be a difficult outing, regardless of who the opponent is, based on what we've seen in the past. Now, maybe Fuller took a big step forward in camp this year, maybe as a spot starter can get the job done. This is not a great Falcons defense, but again, 
They do have some talent on the defensive line. They have a 340-pound nose tackle that played a few games for the Seahawks a few years ago with Anthony Rush. That would be a big issue for the Seahawks to deal with, regardless of who's playing the center position. If you have your backup in, it does borderline being a dire situation for the Seahawks. I also think Shelby Harris dealing with a glute injury also away for personal matters. That is significant as well because he came to Seattle on the Russell Wilson trade, Nick, as a proven commodity that had played in a 3-4 Vic Fangio-style defense. And we have seen with him missing chunks the first two games, even though the Seahawks have a lot of talent in the defensive tackle position, they haven't necessarily been playing well up there away from Al Woods. A few of your other veterans like Puna Ford and Quentin Jefferson have been up and down getting acclimated to playing in this 3-4 scheme, and you haven't seen the cohesion between the defensive line and the linebackers. So not having a player like Harris, who has been playing in the system for the last five years and knows it inside and out, not having him available, whether it's because of injury or because he's away with family matters, whatever, not having him available this weekend against a team that ranks seventh in the NFL and rushing right now, that would not be a good situation. To me, those are the two injuries for guys that are non-participants right now, that would concern me the most. Justin Coleman getting him back would be nice, but you believe Kobe Bryant's going to figure things out the more snaps he gets. And, and this is a youth movement year, so let the young players play. To me, Blythe as well as Harris, those are the two injuries that are notable for Seattle going into this weekend. Yeah, I mean, you have the offensive line that struggles to establish the run, and uh, and they're trying to push the ball downfield with Austin Blythe out. That might be troublesome. And then, yeah having a team where their, their one strength is probably running the ball in the Atlanta Falcons, and you're going to be missing one of your top interior linemen. That's, those, those are the two not great situations there um, in the trenches, but uh, hopefully you can get back. But, yeah, the, Shelby Harris has two pressures this year. He's been he's been pretty much one of the more, when he's been on the field, one of the more consistent performers. I mean, that's kind of an if uh, when he's on the field, though. But, um, yeah, th- th- those two situations, obviously – we all know football starts in the trenches and when you leave, when you lose kind of your spearhead lineman at center and Blythe and one of your more experienced defensive linemen and Harris, that's uh, that's that you're already starting Sunday with a disadvantage. We'll see which players are available. We obviously don't know Friday situation. They have not practiced yet. And so we'll see if Blythe can get back at least in a limited fashion. If Harris is back at the facility and practices, We'll see which one of those guys, if either of them, is available on Sunday. As far as good news, Echenonuosu, you could tell on Sunday, was a little bit banged up late in that game against the 49ers, but he was a full participant in uh, Thursday's practice, so he looks like he's going to be in good shape. Quandre Diggs, after sitting out Wednesday, looks like he's dealing with a kind of lingering, nagging knee issue, but he moved up to being limited. Artie Burns has moved up to being a full participant, so the Seahawks secondary is going to get some extra depth. And that's really going to help on special teams as well. Overall, it's still early. It's week three. Damian Lewis being available, full participant with his thigh bruise as well. Hopefully you can keep him on the field. Injuries have been an issue for him the last couple of seasons. But there's a lot of positive vibes on here as well. That would help negate if somehow Austin Blythe can't play in this game, if you could have Damian Lewis playing left guard or maybe even playing center. We saw him do a spot start at center against the Cardinals his rookie year. I mean, maybe that's something that could happen in this game. But – Certainly there's some positive injury news there as well for the Seahawks going into this game. you got to believe Diggs is going to be suiting up, and and it looks like Lewis, Nwosu, and company are all trending that they're going to be available on Sunday. So they should be close to full strength. You just have those two worrisome injuries in the trenches, one on each side, that we need to keep an eye on here going into Sunday's game. 
Yeah, and having a guy like Enchan Nuosu, who's been pretty much head and shoulders your best pass rusher to this point, having him healthy and back out there, yeah, he looks a little banged up. He leads the team with six pressures. Um, and, yeah, Quandre Diggs, obviously one of the better, um, if not the number one safety that is that uh, no one talks about <laughs> um, on the, on the field as well. So having, having those two guys healthy on the defense will certainly help with you know, against the Falcons offense that isn't exactly formidable. So if you have enough of your guys healthy and you're somewhat at full strength on defense, you feel pretty good about that. We're going to get to our game plan here in a moment. We're going to look at offense and defense, what the Seahawks need to accomplish on Sunday to get back in the win column and improve to two and one. This episode is brought to you by Brightco. When I proposed to my wife at Cannon Beach on the Oregon coast, I bobbled the ring as I pulled it out of the box and I nearly dropped it into the Pacific Ocean off of a rock. That would have been a life-altering, incredibly expensive disaster. And there were several onlookers watching at a crowded tourist destination, so it could have been a really embarrassing moment. You don't want to be that guy. You certainly don't want it splattered all over the internet. The guys at Brightco Jewelry Insurance will make sure... You get a replacement for the full value of that ring, no matter if it's lost, stolen, or you just can't figure out what happened to it. Go to bright.co forward slash locked on. It's the fastest, easiest, and cheapest way to cover your butt with the best jewelry insurance in the business. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks to the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen Five days a week. We greatly appreciated the Seahawks going back home to Lumen Field. Really rough game in Santa Clara last weekend, losing by 20. It felt like they lost by 40, a very lopsided effort in their NFC West opener. They'll be looking to get back in the win column against a Falcon squad that is yet to win a game, but they've been very competitive and had chances to win each of their first two games against really good teams in the NFC, the Saints and the Rams. They were right in the thick of things late. Saints game, they were ahead most of the game and ended up folding. And then they almost made a stunning comeback against the Rams last weekend. Nick, this team is certainly not a pushover. Not the one I think many expected they were going to be coming into the season. Atlanta was like Seattle coming into this year. Nobody expected them to be a playoff contender. Rebuilding team. Moving on from Matt Ryan to Marcus Mariota, a journeyman quarterback. So this team didn't have any expectations. They haven't won a game yet, but they've been very competitive. And I think you look at this game planning the Seahawks are going to have some star players they're going to have to deal with on both sides of the ball that are going to make this a tougher matchup than anticipated. Yeah, I mean, the the, the word I would use for the Falcons this year is plucky. They're they're a plucky team, and, and that's kind of, I hope, where the Seahawks are kind of described as as well um, down the road. Um, they weren't very plucky against the 49ers, but, um, and they might have got a little lucky against the Broncos, but uh, it's... With, with this being a, a matchup, I think, of very two similar teams and situations where, you know, they're kind of in a transitional year at quarterback. Um, they have some good pieces, especially on defense. And um, A.J. Terrell has not played as well as you'd expect in, in the secondary for, for Atlanta. And I think there's a chance that the Seahawks have some some shots downfield. I think they're, 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 the Falcons are tied for the league worst in touchdowns allowed to receivers this year. Um, they've also allowed the fourth best completion rate. So there's going to be some shots downfield, and I don't know if we remember that the Seahawks have you know two really good receivers that can get down the field, and Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I know they've kind of been you know they've been not I don't know if bottled up's the right word, but um, certainly not played up to their standards and our standards for them, and the ones they've set for themselves with with great success um, previous seasons. And yeah, this situation isn't exactly 
you know, all their fault for sure. But um, I think this is a game where and I th- we think we've heard with some comments um, leading up or after the 49ers game and leading up throughout the week here is, you know, they, they're going to try to push the ball downfield, open it up a little bit with Geno Smith, um, who's been very conservative and, you know, um, to, to his credit, you know, that for the most part, that doesn't lead to turnovers. But I think this is a game where you try to get a bit more aggressive and Geno Smith pushing the ball downfield to the likes of Lockett and Metcalf. This is a situation in a matchup where that can yield big results. Yeah, you got to let Geno rock a little bit in this game because this is a Falcon secondary that has had some issues in the first two games. Not necessarily giving up a ton of big plays downfield, but they have been vulnerable to intermediate routes. Receivers have just really carved them up. They're, they have the seventh worst receiving yardage totals against from receivers. As you mentioned, they're tied for first in touchdowns allowed to receivers. They're fourth overall in completion percentage to receivers. So wideouts have had a lot of success working against the Falcons corners and safeties. Now, obviously, Casey Hayward has had a good career, a veteran that they put across from A.J. Terrell, who was a second-team All-Pro last season. He could be a player that has his coming-out party this week and gets back to his second-team All-Pro form, but he has not played anywhere close to that these first couple of games for the Falcons. So that's been concerning in Atlanta's secondary and you got to like the matchup because Metcalf and Lockett, they've had success in the past against A.J. Terrell. And the safety group is average at best for the Falcons. So it feels like this is a secondary that is right for them to be able to take some of those shots. And you also got to feel fairly confident. I'm going to put the word fairly in there just because this is a young offensive line that has had some trouble. But you got to be fairly confident the O-line if they can keep Grady Jarrett at bay. That's the one big worry with that Falcons defensive line, but you've got to believe that they can give Geno Smith enough time to be able to take some of those shots. So I, I certainly think that that is a big part of this game plan and not just because Pete Carroll said it earlier this week. I just look at the opponent and this does feel like a game where, especially on early downs, the Rams had so much success last week, getting the ball to Cooper cup and their other receivers on early downs and they scored, scored touchdowns the first two drives doing that. If Shane Waldron wants to replicate that type of a game plan, they can do that with their receivers, maybe sprinkle in their tight ends and be aggressive on early downs. This can be a game where you are passing to open up the run game, which leads to my other thing here from a game planning perspective. This Falcons defense, they have not given up much yardage when opponents have ran outside the tackles. And that number has been skewed because there was a 57-yard run by Taysom Hill, the pride of BYU for the Saints, coming in as a backup quarterback specialty runner. They have special packages for him. He had a 57-yard run. You take that out of the equation, the Falcons are giving up well under three yards per carry on off-tackle runs. That has been a strength for their defense. Teams have been able to run with some success between the tackles. And it feels like that's what the Seahawks are going to need to do in this game. This is not a game where you're going to come in and just right off the bat, just run, run, run right down their throat because this is a Falcons defense that has not missed a lot of tackles. They have held up fairly well. But I do think if you could pass early downs, create some cushion in the secondary, get their minds thinking about Metcalf and Lockett downfield, extra defender maybe out of the box, then you can get that running game going. But somehow, some way, shape, or form, Nick, they've got to be able to run the ball. I mean, they're dead last in the NFL. Pete Carroll, I mean, I think saying he's upset about it's an understatement. This is not a Pete Carroll team ranked 32nd in rushing offense. They've got to get that going. But it does feel like it's another game where they're going to have to pass to open it up. 
They are. I know that they've they haven't earned that respect in the passing game with you know because the teams that run really well also usually pass with play action and, and can have you know a balanced offense and because the defense has to respect that and the, the Seahawks have not earned that respect in the passing game yeah. quite yet. Another concerning stat for me is that the Seahawks rank 27th in run block win rates according to ESPN and the Falcons are 14th in run stop win rate as you mentioned I mean especially between the tackles so. Um, that's not a great matchup. And especially when you're talking, like we just mentioned about how you might be without Austin Blythe. Um, that, that's, uh, that's going to be, a, you're going to be hard pressed to establish the run, I think. And if they can, that gives them a huge advantage, especially in a home game. And I think part of, like you mentioned is, is involving the receivers intermediate kind of opening things up and, and, and getting those linebackers, you know, on, on their heels a little bit in the passing game and not being able to pin their ears back and, and just, and, you know, be in the run and the run lanes. And finally, for me, Corbin, um, this is the ultimate, you know, very stoppable force meets very movable object <laughs> in, in uh, the red zone versus red zone, um, red zone offense for the Seahawks, red zone defense for the for the uh, Falcons, both rank 31st. So it's something's got to give here. You know, it's it's who's going to suck less <laughs> uh, on this on this matchup. But if it is, this is one of those games where if the Seahawks get in the red zone, by the way, they are, they have zero zero red zone touchdowns so far the Seahawks which is pretty sad um one of only two teams I think in the NFL um so this is a game where you feel like you gotta you have to establish you know in the red zone get in there score um once you get in there you, you gotta turn three into seven and zero zero first into three but ho hopefully you know seven points from the red zone trip because the, the Falcons have been pretty bad at def at uh, at preventing touchdowns once they get in the red zone so this is an opportunity for the Seahawks to kind of crack their necks and get right in that aspect. Yeah, they got to get to the red zone first. They only had one visit there last week against the 49ers, and that was the unfortunate DJ Dallas interception in the end zone that ended that drive. So they haven't even been able to get there consistently. They've got to get to the red zone, and this is a game where you can cure what ails you because the Falcons have struggled in the red zone defensively. So get inside the 20 and then finish those drives that is going to be crucial. I know it may sound elementary to our listeners, but when you go six quarters without points, it's pretty elementary. You need to sustain drives. You need to get in the red zone, and, and dang it, you need to finish when you get down there to put some points on the board. Now, let's look at the Seahawks on defense going to this game because I do think that maybe this is a little bit more complex in terms of what the Seahawks can do to try to you know, make things tough for the Falcons and Marcus Mariota on offense. And we've talked, it's kind of similar game planning wise to what we've seen with the mobile quarterbacks the last couple of weeks. But Marcus Mariota, I think is more trending towards that Trey Lance situation than Russell Wilson in terms of talent. This is a quarterback that has had his issues turning over the football, could have had three interceptions last week. His passer rating is under 55 when he's pressured. So Seattle's going to have to find ways. Again, you a mobile quarterback, you don't want to blitz, blitz, blitz all the time because they will burn you with their legs. But they've got to selectively sprinkle in some pressures and get him into a situation where he is forced to make some tough decisions quickly. And he has shown when he's under duress, and he's done this since he came into the league out of Oregon. So one of the reasons he didn't work out as a starter in Tennessee, he will uncork some throws into double coverage. He will take chances that he shouldn't. And opponents say, take advantage of that by getting interceptions. Again, he should have had three of those last week. This is not a quarterback who's ever thrown the ball well against pressure. So I think that is crucial. The Seahawks don't have any interceptions yet this year. 
building off last season. They need to start getting some of those turnovers in secondary. And I think they can generate that mixing in some linebacker blitzes, mixing in some safety blitzes, some sim pressures, and really keep Marcus Mariota on his heels. If they can do that, they've got a chance to have one of their better defensive games and create some turnovers, help the offense with some short field. They haven't been able to move the ball. So if you give them short field, maybe that's what it takes to get some points on the board. I just think it's going to be crucial to generate that pressure on Marcus Mariota this week to really give the offense or the defense an edge. Yeah. The Seahawks rank 13th in a pass rush win rate. So certainly, um, you know, middle of the pack, maybe slightly above middle of the pack. So they've been, they've gotten pressure, you know, Daryl Taylor has six pressures. Just no sacks yet, uh, or sorry, four four pressures and zero sacks. So second on the team, he, he's he's got to get home. But this this Falcons team kind of screams to me one dimensional. You know, if you can get him in that box, if you want to, and I think that's what the Seahawks are going to try to do. Um, they, they have Cordero Patterson, who's who's a pretty good running back in his own right. Got seventy seven yards after contact um, this year already, one hundred and sixty one yards. Uh, my guy Tyler Algier out of BYU, record setting running back from them. He's been kind of playing sparingly, but if they use him a lot. Well, his his calling card at BYU was bouncing off tackles and, and and shedding tackles, and so I think maybe if they want to deploy him as kind of a uh, a second attack after Patterson, Marcus Mariota can certainly run a little bit in his own right. Damian Williams has gotten a couple of carries as well. Um, so if if the, if they become one dimensional, you know, and it's the the old adage of you know make Marcus Mariota beat you, and I don't think he does if if that if that comes down to it. And another one is get quick stops. Don't let the Falcons sustain drives and get into a rhythm, especially on the run. Um, if there, there's, there are a few things that infuriate me watching sport, not just football and sports in general, when you know it's third and six, third and seven, and they run for a first down. That drives me nuts. And, you know, don't let that, don't let them get, don't let that train start to roll. And, um, and you know, I think the, the stat is that they've had one of the fewest uh, three and outs in the league. It's back the fewest, right? The, they've forced the fewest three and outs in the yep. league on defense. That's a problem. Yeah, they're dead last in the league in, in three and outs defensively. That's not a category that you want to be dead last in, just like running the football on offense. They just haven't been able to get off the field. And the thing is, Clint Hurt talked about this on Wednesday. They had three different times against the 49ers where – they had third down stops, and unfortunately, they had penalties that were called in the secondary that extended the drive. So those are the little things that they've got to clean up. They can't have those yellow flags raining down on third down when they get stops and extending drives, and they've got to clean up their tackling. This is a team that is 17th in yards after contact with the running game. And so the Falcons are not elite in that category, but certainly they can create yardage. Cordell Patterson can break tackles. Kick returner obviously knows how to do that as a running back, has played receiver. So with his size, that can be an issue. You're going to have to wrap. And Pete Carroll's talked about this. Swarm to the football. Get your teammates in there and get these guys down. Limit their yards after contact. That by itself is going to create more opportunities for you to get off the field quickly. But that has been a huge weakness for this defense for several years running where they just have not been able to get off the field quickly. They find ways to bend but not break. This week, don't even bend. Get off the field several times early, and then you can get the ball right back to your offense. Give the offense more opportunities, and more opportunities, there's a better chance you're going to have some drives work your way and you're going to go score some points. So I would agree with you on that. They absolutely got to clean up their tackling. They got to clean up the penalties. 
so they can get off the field on third down. If they can do that, if they can make this Falcons offense one-dimensional. Marcus Mariota is not a quarterback. It's much like Geno Smith. He is not going to elevate his team and take over games. If that was the case, he wouldn't have been kicked out by the Titans. He would have been their starter moving forward. This is not a quarterback that is going to dominate opponents and, and win games with his arm and legs by himself. He's got to have a supporting cast working with him. He's got to have a run game to complement him. You take that run game out of the equation, you put the football in his court. I think the Seahawks should feel good about their chances, get some pressure on him. He's going to uncork some bad passes. And so that, to me, is the most important thing. Can you make him one-dimensional if you can do that? you got to like your chances of going to 2-1 and one and winning this football game. We're going to get to our X factors, what Seattle must do to win this game. And, of course, our final predictions coming up here next on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host, Nick Lee. Thanks to all the 12s out there. As always, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get your podcast. As we do each and every week now in week three, Nick, it's time for us to get to our X Factors, the players to really watch out for that are going to have a chance to have a major impact in this week's game for the Seahawks. Are you going offense or defense with your X Factor, Mr. Lee? I want to go offense. I think this is a game where you, that they have opportunities to establish, and that's kind of been one of their Achilles heels so far this year is not generating enough offense and um, kind of stalling out at times. And we mentioned you know, that the Falcons are pretty poor in the red zone. They're, uh, there's some inter- intermediate routes to, to, to be had underneath for the Seahawks. And I think that that bodes well for a guy like Noah Fant. I know he's been very quiet. In fact, maybe not existent so far in Seattle, which is, you know, he's third on the team in targets so far um but not not much to show that for that five catches for 27 yards um so far this year so really hasn't made a big impact i think we both can agree he's one of them he's very extremely talented tight end uh, physically gifted um and part of this isn't really his fault and a part of it is a scheme it's just not being able to to work things out you know he's this, this is only his third game in a seahawks uniform but i think that he's going to be an important factor especially with there's going to be some opportunities hopefully in the red zone for the seahawks um, and so, you know, you don't need to go have him go off, you know, eight catches for 120 yards or something like that. But I think he makes a key catch or two, um, either maybe a third and eight big catch or a touchdown in the red zone, something like that. But this is a game where perhaps uh, Noah Fant can finally make his first big impact play for Seattle. Getting Fant going would be huge for this offense just because they've been looking for that tight end to stretch the field. Now, we saw some of that in their week one win over the Broncos. Kobe Parkinson was really the one that was stretching the field, and you had that broken play that went for 38 yards for a touchdown to Will Disley as well. But they didn't get the ball to tight ends last week against the 49ers. This might be a game where you're able to do that against the Falcons. I'm going to go on the defensive side of the football with a player who – 
you and I, we're both guilty of it. We talked Daryl Taylor up this entire offseason, and, and I don't think that we were wrong doing that. This guy has the tools to be a wrecker off the edge, and yet these first two games, there's been way too many plays left on the field, way too many tackles missed. That big one that led to a 51-yard run for Debo Samuel last week just being one example. No pressures last week for Daryl Taylor. He had three of them in the first game. So there was some pass rushing from him in the first game against Russell Wilson. Didn't get any sacks, though. He is yet to get his first sack this season. This is a game where I think that absolutely has to happen. And I love the matchup that he has going against Caleb McGarry at right tackle. McGarry has the physical tools to handle bigger rushers, stronger rushers, but he has had his share of issues in his NFL career against guys that have elite burst upfield. And Daryl Taylor, regardless of what's happened these first two games, he has elite speed. He has elite burst to bend around the corner. This should be a matchup that scares the Atlanta Falcons. This should be a matchup that Daryl Taylor can clearly take advantage of and get into the backfield and get after Marcus Mariota. They need him to start playing to his capabilities and you know, McGarry as a run blocker going against Taylor, that may be advantage Atlanta. He's got to show that he can hold firm at the edge. So I'm using this as a call-out for Daryl Taylor. He needs to play to his potential. He needs to play much better, perform much better than we've seen the first two weeks. I think he's got a good chance to do that. Again, being back in front of the 12s, taking advantage of that crowd noise as a benefit, rushing off the edge, getting his snaps timed perfectly. This maybe is the game that we can see Daryl Taylor get on track. So I'm going to be rolling the dice that it is that game, and I'm going with him as my X factor. Now, Nick, moving away from individual players, there's a lot of different factors that are going to decide who wins this game. But what is the one thing that you think absolutely needs to happen for the Seahawks to beat the Atlanta Falcons on Sunday? Well, we kind of talked about it with uh, with Marcus Mariota's He's not going to be a guy that's going to beat you with his arm. And in fact, he's been feeling pretty generous with some of his turnover-worthy plays. Um, and I think the Seahawks should make him got to make him pay. They got to make him pay for that. And, and I don't think you know this is a game where they're so severely outmatched that the Seahawks need to be you know plus three in turnovers to really have a chance or anything like that. Um, B plus one. I think B plus one in turnovers. You know, it's going to happen. Maybe you fumble or interception, and you get one and get two. Or don't turn the ball over at all and get one, you know that kind of thing. Plus one in the turnovers, and um, add a little caveat to that. Can can we can we uh, can we rush for 100 yards, please? <laughs> can, can the Seahawks run rush for 100 yards? I know Pete Carroll's probably saying that in his sleep and and screaming into the nights, you know, shaking his fist at the sky about how they've their their top rushing game so far is 76 yards. So I think that this and that's kind of an arbitrary number, but just getting to that century mark kind of means that you've. You've established the run a little bit better than before, and pair that with a turnover or being plus one. I think that's a really good formula, especially at home, to win the game. I'm going to lean off of your running game thing, and not necessarily that I'm going with minimum rushing yards. I'm keeping it pretty elementary here. If the Seahawks want to win this game, they need to put together at least five scoring drives with two touchdowns minimum. Now, that might seem crazy. That might seem like an out-there number with them not scoring any points for six quarters. But I don't think they are winning this football game if they cannot get above 20 points. The Atlanta Falcons have showed the first two weeks that they can put points on the board. They've scored more than 20 in both of their losses to the Saints and the Rams, two teams that have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the football. So they've been able to score points 
And at times they've been able to do it in bunches. They've been very inconsistent when they've been hot. They've been very hot. And so I just don't think you're going to be able to win this game if you're the Seahawks and you only put 17 points to the board like they did in week one. Didn't have any offensive points last week. Like the offense has to step up. I don't care how they do it, but you got to find a way to get at least two touchdown drives and I think five scoring drives. And in that case, looking at adding three field goals on top of your 14 points, that would get you to 23. To me, that is your hot spot there in that 23 to 26 point range. I think if you score 20 or 21, probably not going to win this game because the Falcons have shown that they can score points. They've been more consistent on offense. So I'm not going to look at individual yardage on rushing or passing or whatever. I want points. The Seahawks got to get points on the board. That's something they have not been able to do for the most part so far in this 2022 season. They need to get up there in that 23 to 26 point range, I think, to have a chance to win this football game. And that's really the perfect segue into the final segment here on our Blue Friday. What's going to happen on Sunday, Nick? Who wins this football game and why? Well, I'm kind of going, going to go against what you what your philosophy there for a second. Uh, um, I, I think this is kind of a home pick where you know, I think that the Seahawks, it's going to lean the Seahawks way just because they're at home in Seattle. And because um, if this is in Atlanta, I think this was, for me, an easier pick to pick the Falcons. But since it's in Seattle and, uh, you know, there, there's, there, there's these two teams are very similar in a lot of ways. I'm going to go Seattle with, you know, I'm going to call this game what I like to say struggly. This is going to be a struggly game. What I mean by that is, you know, a little bit low scoring, maybe some sloppiness, um, some some not so great plays on both sides. It's, these two teams are not, you know, top tier. So I'm going to go Seahawks 20, Falcons 17. And I think that they hold them to those with a, maybe a turnover or two. Seahawks crowd gets into it and maybe flusters the Falcons a little bit. And yeah, I, I think that this is a game where the, the home field, like like part of it was with the with the Broncos on Monday night a couple couple weeks ago, um, where the crowd kind of plays into it, the defense plays inspired a little bit because of that, and the offense gets just enough, maybe with an extra possession with a turnover, to squeak out the win, maybe with a late field goal. I'm going to go a little higher scoring than you, and I'm sure that our listeners could have gauged that I was going to go that with my previous response, but. I'm going to go Seahawks 25, Falcons 20. Maybe a bit of an odd score there. Maybe there's a Jason Myers missed extra point sprinkled in there. He's about due for one of those, unfortunately. No, I'm going to go 25-20. I think Seattle wins this football game. I think they're going to get their run game going some. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, 150 yards. Like They got to show me they can get above 80 before I'm going to make any proclamations like that. But I do think they can have some success on the ground if – They are able to get their passing game humming, especially on early downs, and get better yardage totals on first and second down. Put yourself in better third down positions than you had last week. This is not a team that's going to have the pass rushing options that the 49ers did. So you should be able to protect Geno Smith. You should be able to get a few of those shot plays. I think DK Metcalf is going to have his biggest game of the season by far. In fact, I'm going to predict right now he goes above 90 receiving yards in this game. And I think he gets his first touchdown of the season. I expect Metcalf to have a big game against his Falcons secondary. I like him against A.J. Terrell. I think that matchup favors him. And I certainly would take him against an aging Casey Hayward. So I like Seattle's skill players in this game. I expect the Falcons are going to be pesky, though. They're going to run the ball some in their own right. Mariota is going to make some plays happen with his legs. They've got some weapons in Kyle Pitts and Drake London on the outside that could cause the secondary for the Seahawks some problems. So this is not going to be a pushover game. 
This is a team that's 0-2, but they've been very competitive. They could come in and win this one. I just think the Seahawks are going to come out with some resolve after how poorly they played last week. I think the 12s are going to bring it on Sunday afternoon. They are going to bring that extra boost that this Seahawks team needs to win. So I think it's close. I think it goes down to the wire, but I think Seattle actually manages to put up some fight on offense, puts 25 points to the board, gets a few turnovers against this Falcons offense that has shown it's more than willing to give the football away. And I think that's going to be the difference in what is otherwise a very close game. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on Sunday after the game, I will have my weekly postcast. I'll be handing out some game balls, going over key storylines, playing some three up, three down, and much more. You won't want to miss that. That'll be coming shortly after the final kick. The final whistle at Lumen Field. Enjoy the game. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.